continue looking at uh, 1 Kings, and we come to chapter 18 today. It says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, How have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord is not sent to seek you. And when they would say, He is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, Go tell your Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. By the time God tells Elijah to return to Ahab, the drought is severe. It's lasted about three years. You could not get in your car to drive away and escape it to another climate. The scenes on the countryside would have looked like a modern apocalyptic movie. And why did it happen? Why was there this drought that led to a famine? Because the king of Israel and the people of Israel had forsaken the worship of the true God and pursued the idolatrous worship of the god Baal, the god of weather. And so the chapter begins with the word of the Lord came. This is the emphasis. Elijah's just the messenger. And he's told to show himself to Ahab. Three years since he last saw him. And now the famine is severe. So the camera shifts briefly to Ahab, but then it focuses on a man 
it introduces us to a man named Obadiah. Now, there are many Obadiahs in the Old Testament. One Obadiah wrote a book called Obadiah. This is not the same man. This was somewhat of the chief of staff of Ahab's kingship. He looked over all the household. He would have been Ahab, you might say, his, his chief administrator. And he gets mixed reviews from people who study the Bible. Some see him as just a compromiser who was in Ahab's court, uh, this godless king, this idolatrous king, and Obadiah serving him, even refers to him as my Lord. And yet others, like myself, see him as a godly man who God has placed his salt and light in a difficult place. Why do I say that? Why do we think he was a godly man? Well, verse 3 tells us that he feared the Lord greatly. He says, I feared God from my youth. Second, he holds a, a very important post. He says he's over the household. So most of us see Obadiah as a godly man serving an evil king, and yet serving where God has placed him right there in an environment that would have been hostile to his faith. Some of you serve in such an environment. Some of you will. I have many friends through the years that especially in certain fields, they know that they're going into an area that primarily is going to be hostile to their faith. And yet, in many cases, they sense that God has called them to do that, to bear witness to Christ, especially if it's an area like the arts or journalism, uh, some, a lot of mass media that way, um, a variety of, of things, especially in academics at the higher education level, college and grad school, they, they must feel a, a great calling to that area to serve God in that environment. Well, let's look at Obadiah's courage. The proof of his commitment is referred to as, as what he had done when Queen Jezebel set out to destroy the prophets of the Lord. He hid 100 of them from her. He divided them into two groups of 50, and then he supplied them with with food and water. Now this was at risk to his own welfare, of course. If Jezebel had known this, she probably would have, probably definitely would have killed him too, along with those prophets. And yet he did the right thing. There's an important lesson for all of us in a, in a position like that, where he was, in a, he was in a position hostile to his faith. He, did, he ultimately did the right thing. He had courage to do what God had called him to do. He didn't back down. He didn't let his fear overwhelm him. And it's interesting here that it says that he fed them. He made sure that they had food and water. Now contrast that with the previous chapter where God calls Elijah to the, to the Kareth ravine and, and God feeds him. Remember, the, the birds brought him food and there was water there in the, the brook. Uh, so we have a miraculous provision for Elijah, but here in the next chapter, it's a... It's a it's a very normal provision that, that Obadiah made sure that they had food and water. Which of those two was the Lord providing? Speak to me. Both of them. Which one's making the noise, David? This one? Both of them, okay. Well, we've struck out. God's providing for both of them. I've, I've mentioned before that um, I, th I think God provides what we may say uh, in a spectacular way often when there's no other way for him to provide. 
uh, when Barbara and I were in graduate school and seminary, I, I had an, uh, we had one car and I was driving it one morning to class and it caught fire. It burned out the dashboard, all the wiring burned. So that, that car was, was uh, out of commission. Well, we were not in a position to go purchase another car, and we needed a car, and, and uh, a man who knew us, that, who lived there, we had just met him weeks before, he had an old car that he, he donated so that we could, we could drive it, we could have it. We could look at that and say, look, the Lord provided. If you'd seen the car, you'd question whether it's from God or from the devil, but you'd, you'd wonder, God provided that car. Now later, a few years later, I needed another car. And how did I get that one? Well, I borrowed a few thousand dollars from my parents and I paid them $100 a month until the car was paid for. Which one did God provide? He provided both of them. So just because it's the ordinary day-to-day -day thing does not mean it's not God's provision. It's not as though one was a spiritual car and one was a, not a spiritual car. Ahab, I mean, Obadiah did the right thing. He proved himself faithful. But he's, he's afraid now when Elijah says, go and tell Ahab I am here. He, he knows the implications. And the fear kind of gets the, the best of him. If I do that, Elijah, he's going to kill me. He's going to be thinking I've conspired against him, that I knew where you were. Or when I go and tell him, you'll, God will lead you somewhere else and we won't be able to find you and he'll kill me in that case. So he very much lived with the sense that, that he could die at any moment if he did the wrong thing as, as Ahab saw it. But at the end of the day, he had courage. And he's willing to do the right thing. Well, finally, Elijah comes face to face with Ahab. And Ahab says to him in verse 17, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? In other words, literally, are you the one who's brought the curse upon us? Ahab is accusing Elijah basically of all of this that I, Elijah is a cause. What does this re reveal about Ahab? No repentance, no remorse, no personal responsibility. It's your fault, Elijah. Philip Ryken, as he uh, commented on this passage, said Ahab's accusation is a sober warning about what happens to God's people in days of judgment. First, the world will shut its ears to God's word then it will point an accusatory finger at God's people. And when trouble comes, the people of this world do not turn back to God, but turn against him and his people. And that's what Ahab does. He turns against. There's no sign that he takes any responsibility for what is happening. We see this through the scriptures. Think of some of the examples of where people blamed Christians often for their own falls. When Paul preached the gospel, He's brought up before the, the governor named Felix. And the people that bring him before the governor in a complaint say, We have found this man to be a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world. That's in Acts 24. Christians were wrongfully charged in the first century for practicing incest and cannibalism because they called one another Christian brothers and sisters and they referred to eating and drinking the Lord's body and blood in communion. And under Nero, as you know, the Christians were blamed for burning the burning of Rome and then were, were executed and persecuted for such. 
But no one was more falsely accused than Jesus. When he's brought before Pilate, his accusers say, we have found this man misleading our nation. He stirs up the people, teaching throughout Judea. You hear how false that is? The preaching of the gospel will always draw some people to God, but it will turn others against those who deliver it and those who seek to follow it. Rarely is anyone left in a neutral position. So don't be surprised if the hatred of this world is turned against you and that those who don't follow the, the faith in Christ will then blame you and accuse you for everything bad that is happening. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So who's the real troublemaker? When Ahab says that to Elijah, well, God has told his people, I read it yesterday in Deuteronomy 28, that if you worship other gods, famine will follow. That was clear. Ahab knew that. But Ahab blames Elijah. And now Elijah's here. And so Elijah answers him in a very, very direct way in, in verse 18. I have not troubled God's people. I have not troubled them. But you have. You and your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Elijah was a prophet. He wasn't a politician. He wasn't a salesman. He really didn't care what anybody thought except what God thought. If it was politically incorrect, so be it. If it was unpopular, if it was offensive, he didn't care. He said to Ahab the truth, you are the reason for all of this, not me. In the 1800s, there was a Methodist circuit preacher named Peter Cartwright. And Peter Cartwright would, would preach in a variety of places, and he was known for being very outspoken and very blunt. On one particular occasion, he's preaching to a very, very large congregation. And in the congregation that night was going to be the sitting president of the United States, Andrew Jackson. And so some of Peter Cartwright's friends, knowing this, some of the men went and talked to him before the service and said, could you tone it down? They knew him, and they said, don't say anything offensive during the, uh, the sermon. Well, during the sermon, Peter Cartwright, at a point in the sermon, said, I've been told that the President of the United States, Andrew Jackson, is here. And I've been told to be careful about what I say. So I will be careful and say that if President Andrew Jackson does not repent, he will go to hell. At the end of the service, Peter Jackson, uh, uh, President Jackson saw Peter Cartwright out, extended his hand and said, if I had a whole army of people like you, we could win the world. He was like Elijah. He didn't care. He cared about what God thought, I should say. He didn't care about what people thought. He, he cared about the truth. And so Elijah accuses Ahab of two things. He's forsaken God, and he's pursued the worship of Baal. It's pretty simple. You've forsaken God, you've pursued the worship of Baal. And Ahab could have repented on the spot. Repentance would not have been that difficult. We ask ourselves the questions, what is repentance in this situation? He could have repented right then. The whole thing could have turned around, but he didn't. Repentance means a change of mind. 
It involves confessing our sin, but it's more. It involves remorse, but it's more. Ahab should have been repenting of his sins, asking God for mercy. He should have been asking God to turn away his wrath, to restore the rains, to restore the crops and the food so that people would not be dying. But he never does accept this responsibility. It's only going to get worse as you read on in 1 Kings because Ahab does not repent. Uh, So I close with this. Just I want to say a word about repentance. Why is it that Ahab doesn't change? Why is it that some, perhaps even here, can hear the message about Christ from the time of your youth up to today and and it goes in one ear and out the other. Whereas someone else will hear it and their heart is stirred and they repent and they're changed. Well, repentance is a grace from God. God grants it. Unless God's work, unless He works, none of us will repent. We will ignore it We will ignore our sin. We will focus on the sins of others. We will blame it on our situation. So if the Lord is moving in your heart, if you're believing the message about Christ, if you have a growing awareness and conviction of your sin, then you cry out to Him and put your trust in Him. Turn from your sin and pursue God. That is a gift from God. That is given from God But you must repent. And it's common today for someone to say, well, my sins are too many. Or my sins are too serious. Or they're too prominent. Or you don't know the habit patterns of my life that have been there for years, even decades. Well, I like what the Westminster Confession says. As there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, So there is no sin so great that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. No one is beyond the grace of God. Now let me make one other application and we'll close. If repentance is a grace of God that He can give, you should never give up that He may change any person. You may never give up you say, well, you don't know my dad, or you don't know my brother, or you don't know my good friend that I've known for 60 years, or you don't know my spouse, and they're beyond God's help. You want to know something? There were probably people saying that about you, and yet God changed your heart. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Give your heart to him. Give it completely. Give it fully. Let's pray together. Our Father, we serve you in a time that is really not popular at all. It's not popular to say that anything is ultimately true. It's certainly not popular to say that we are all in need of a Redeemer because we've sinned against you. So we pray that you'd help us to be salt and light, even as Obadiah in Elijah's court.
to be a godly person wherever you've placed us. Help those here that are even persecuted and insulted on a regular basis for their faith. Help them to be strong and courageous and discerning and wise. And we would pray that our trust would be in Christ and in Him only. And we ask in His name. Amen.